What a perfect song for this morning, amen? I appreciate that. I just wanted to tell you that I don't need a stimulus check to be encouraged. Uh, God always takes care of his own. He takes care and provides for you. And it's such a blessing to see all of you here today. I think really there's something that we need to speak on uh, this morning, and I believe the Lord directed me to this particular topic somewhat. We're going to get into the scriptures in a moment. Uh, but Psalm 46 came to my mind uh, when it came to the idea of helping people with the, their, their spirit. And so um, I titled the message, uh, of course, Spiritually Steadfast. Um, not talking about necessarily the Holy Spirit, or that's involved with the particular message, but I'm talking about being steadfast in your spirit and uh, how that sometimes life can drain your spirit. Sometimes situations in life take you away from that excitement. We were talking in the men's class this morning about how that sometimes uh, when we first start our, out our walk with God, we are, we are passionate. There is this unquenchable desire to be around God's people and to be in the house of God and to be and to be doing exactly what God wants us to do. And then sometimes we go through life and it seems we seem to be drained in that area spiritually, where if we're not steadfast in the word of God, if we're not strong in the scriptures and in our trust in the Lord, uh, sometimes we can dissipate in our spirits to where uh, we aren't what we should be as far as what we could be, what we could be doing. And sometimes there's uh, spirits that get hurt. And who can overcome and who can help a wounded spirit, uh, someone who has been crushed because of circumstances in their life? It might have been a dream that you once had, and you, you, you saw yourself in that dream, and it never came to fruition yet. And so you've kind of lost patience in that area and, and saw, or maybe it was somebody in the relationship aspect of things. And so there are things living this side of heaven that allow us to go through times in our lives, even as Christians, where we, we are somewhat deflated, if you would, and we're, we're down and we can't get out of that rut, so to speak. And, uh, I think first of all, we have to determine whether it's a root in our life or whether it is a rut that we're in. There's a difference in that. And sometimes we can go back and look and say, well, I've got certain things in my life that still need to be taken care of. They still need to be laid at the altar. There's some things that perhaps you know that, aren't, that don't need to be in your life. It's pretty simple um, when, we, when we talk about sin. Because sin in our lives, and we know when we've sinned against God. There's, there's, it's not like some secret thing, you know. We know when we've gone against what God desires. And so sin is basically breaking the laws of God. And so when we do that, we've sinned against him. We need to take care of that. And so as I was thinking about the message, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about how that we can be strong in our spirit. We can stand still and let God move. We can do that. It is possible to, to just back off a little bit and, and let God move. And I think it's important for us to, at sometimes in our lives, to just be still. Of course, verse number 10 here in the text is talking about, be still and know that I am God, and I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. That particular verse is talking uh, about how God is going to have his will done. And sometimes when uh, we, we look at uh, these, these particular psalms, and it's not really necessarily chapters, these are letters written uh, to God um, in, in devotions many times by kings. And so here, why is this in here? Uh, why is this particular chapter? I think if we look back at why it's here, um, it'll actually 
help us understand more of the text. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to look with me and turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 19. And I'll be there in just a moment. 2 Kings chapter 19. We're also going to go to 2 Chronicles. But 2 Kings chapter 19, this is after the uh, the strong uh, impression you would uh, of, of Elijah. Um, and I think 2 Kings chapter 19, uh, of course, talks about how that God will help in time of trouble, his people. And I just wanted to say that, that God is, is moving uh, with what's going on in the world system right now. And uh, he has got a plan, and you can see it un- unraveling. Um, we as Christians are here, this side of heaven, for a purpose. Uh, otherwise, you know, we'd get saved and go right to heaven just like that immediately. But we're here for a purpose, and that is to lead people to Christ. It's to be the salt and the light of the world. And so we then need to move into a society and continue to talk about how good God is. But in the, the knowledge in our mind, we need to realize that this particular psalm was written uh, during the battle or after the battle with Sennacherib, with, with the Assyrians. And so if we go back and see that the Jewish people have always had enemies, the Jewish people have enemy, had, 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 had enemies, um, we think about the Jewish people and we kind of realize that Pharaoh will let them go and you that are in your scripture reading for the year, this is what we're reading through now and all the plagues that came and all the difficult things. That, that the children of Israel had to endure, but also uh, the, 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 the curse, if you would, upon Egypt. Let my people go. And you guys have watched the Ten Commandments, and you've seen Charlton Heston there, and they say, you know, and, and uh, let my people go, you know, or so let it be written, yeah, that kind of thing, you know. And so we understand this, that these plagues did come, and some of them were, were horrible. Uh, but the, 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 the children of Israel have always had enemies, and Pharaoh was one of them. And so if we go through, we see Babylon and how that they were carried and kept and put in captivity in Babylon. And we see that there was the Phoenicians that were against the, the um, and that's uh, modern day uh, Tyre and Sidon, modern day Lebanon. That location of people were always against the Jews. And, and the Jews, the Jewish people have, have always have had enemies like the Philistines. Uh, we could go on and on. You know, we we can actually go to modern day and realize that that the, the Nazis and uh, with the Jewish people, um, they've always had enemies. The the Arabs uh, uh, against the Jewish people, and and I can say this with great comfort that that really to be against Israel and the Jew is to be against God. So if we if we put that at level, if we put that make it more level and understand that that when when people are are looking uh, at at the signs of the times, we need to look at Israel. How is Israel being treated? Um, the the last administration was really um, a God sent, if you would, to the Jewish people. Um, this administration is not. Again, if they are enemies of Israel, they are enemies of God. And it goes all the way back to the Bible. And, and when God steps in and he works with his people, he'll, he'll help them in time of need. This particular uh, war, this particular story in the Old Testament, it's mentioned in a couple places. I, I, I like the Chronicle, 
you know, the Hebrew Chronicles paper better uh, sometimes when I look at that in, in, the, in the account than I do in the Kings. But let me look, look with me, if you would, at the consequence to their, uh, to their pride and their desire to be against the, the, is the, the Jewish people. Listen to what it says here in verse number 35 of chapter 19 of 2 Kings. If you have your Bibles at home, uh, you can also follow along with us and you can see a little bit more of what we're saying here in verse 35. And it came to pass that night, that night, that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians an hundred fourscore and five. So 185,000, 185,000. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. And it came to pass, um, as he was worshiping in the house of Nishrach, his god, that Adremelech and Shezrezer, uh, his, son, his sons, smote him with the sword, and they escaped to the land of Aramia. Someone say that for me, would you? Armenia. See, I said it a thousand times because when I was a little kid, I, when I was 17, I was in the hospital and there was a, a nurse that was from that particular country. I won't say it again. But I have verbal dyslexia sometimes, folks, and so I, I can get through it, but I need your help a little bit. And Ash, could uh, say that? Armenia. No, the next one. Yeah, that too. And his son reigned in his stead. Now, we're making a little bit light of this, but this is a horrible thing to have his sons kill him uh, or kill him. Uh, it, it's a horrible thing, but that's the consequence to somebody who is going against God's plan. Now, turn over, if you would, with me to um, Chronicles. Let's go to Chronicles chapter 23, or chapter 32. Chronicles 32. Second Chronicles, I'm sorry. Second Chronicles chapter 32. And, and what's happening here is I'm going to draw in, out of this particular chapter, you're going to see how these people responded to the Jewish people and what they thought about. Talk about pride and arrogance among these people that were against the Jews. And, and can I say that I have heard nothing but pride and arrogance in our White House? These rulers of our country on both sides should be shaking in their boots because the God of heaven is moving. The times of the Gentiles is drawing to an end. And God is moving. I don't know how long we have left, but when I'm reading the scriptures and I'm seeing what's going on in our world, I'm saying it's time to get serious about your walk with God. It's serious to be able to get your relationship with God in place. So I want you to look at these verses with me, and let's look at the arrogance a little bit here. Let's begin verse number. Let's begin verse number one. I I just um, I just need to explain it. I have I have highlighted verses, and I was going to read only these ones, uh, only certain ones. But I need to read the whole chapter. Um, I may skip some verses, but in verse number one it says, "And after these things." An establishment thereof, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came and entered into Judah and encamped against the fenced cities and thought to win them for himself. And then when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib, now Sennacherib is the king of Assyria, and Hezekiah is the king of Judah. If we look here, it says in verse number, uh, number two, 
uh, when he was come, and that he was purposed to fight against Jerusalem. And he took counsel with his princes and with his mighty men to stop the waters of the fountains which were, which were without the city, so that they'd help him. So they did help him. And so there was gathered much people together who stopped all fountains and the brooks that ran through the midst of the land, saying, Why should the king of Assyria come and find much water? Also, he strengthened himself and built up all the walls that were broken down, of course, and raised it up the towers and, and another wall without, and then repaired Milo, the city of David, and then made darts and shields, that's, that's the word for swords or spears, if you would, in abundance. And he set captains of war over the people and gathered them together to him in the streets of the gate of the city. And he spake, what? Comfortably to them and he was desiring to put them at ease because, and of course we know that this particular psalm, Psalm 46, is, is going back to this particular account. Um, and so there, there is going to be some things that we'll look at in Psalm 46, but I just want you to grasp what he's doing here. The king, he wants his people to know that everything is going to be okay. Look what it says in verse number Seven, here's what he says. Be strong and courageous, be not afraid, nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him. For there be more with us than of him. And then he says this. With him is the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested. They, they, they leaned more on the Lord. They rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, the king of Judah. So, And after this, verse number 9, did the Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, send his servants to Jerusalem. He laid himself to siege against Lachish, and his power uh, was with him, his power with him. And of course, when we're talking about his power, his dominion, uh, that's, what, that's, that, that's the Hebrew word for that word power. And unto Hezekiah, the king of Judah, and unto all Judah that were, the, were at Jerusalem, saying... Thus saith Sennacherib, the king of Assyrians. Now, he, this is when he's speaking. Just this is words. Whereon do you trust that you abide in the siege in Jerusalem? He's speaking to the people. He says, Doth not Hezekiah, your king, persuade you to give over yourselves to die by famine and thirst? See, and he's saying, and he's, he's mocking them, saying, The Lord our God shall deliver us out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And so there's an arrogance here by, by Sennacherib, and he's saying, oh, you think that your God's going to actually deliver you? All you're going to do is go into famine and the sword. You, you can't trust God. He's basically trying to get the allegiance of the people, the Jews, to come to his side. It says, of course, um, in verse number 12, hath not the same Hezekiah taken away his his high places and his altars, and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, saying, You shall worship before uh, one altar and burn incense on it. So he's basically now taking the leader and throwing him under the bus. You don't have to follow this guy. You know, he's, he's out to get your, all of your things. You can't trust him. Look at verse number 13, more, more mocking. Know ye not that I and my fathers have done unto all the people uh, of other lands. So we, 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 made, we made other lands desolate. We're going to do the same to you. So his, his pride is, is being presented here. 
Were the gods of the nations of those lands and ways able to deliver their lands out of my hand? Who was there among all the gods of those nations my father utterly destroyed and could deliver his people out of mine hand? That your God should be able to deliver you out of my hand? Boy, what, a, what an arrogance that's going on. And uh, I mean, put yourself in, in the scene. I mean, you, you, have, you have a leader that's in place, you know, and then, and then this other king comes along and says, you know, you don't have to trust your God. What a horrible, horrible situation for the people of God to be in. The covenant people of God. Now, therefore, let not Hezekiah deceive you, nor persuade you on this matter. Neither let you believe him. For no God in any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people out of mine hand and out of the hand of my fathers. How much less shall your God deliver you out of mine hand? And his servants spake yet more. So now you got the servants mocking um, against the Lord and against the servant uh, Hezekiah, against God's servant. And then he wrote letters. If that wasn't enough to just talk about it, now he wants to write letters. What's he afraid of? He knows the God of heaven rules. And Sennacherib knows that he's going against the God of heaven and he's fearful. But he's saying to the people, don't you trust this God. Don't you trust Hezekiah. Look what it says in verse number 17. He wrote also letters to rail on the Lord God of Israel and to speak against him and saying, as the gods of the nations and other lands have not delivered uh, their people out of mine hand, so shall not the God of Hezekiah deliver his people out of mine hand. And so in verse number 18, and again, you, you see here, um, he yells at the Jews. They, they yell out. Then they cried. This is the servants of, of Sennacherib, uh, the king of Assyria. This, his servants were crying out to the Jews. They cried with a loud voice in the Jews' speech unto the people of Jerusalem, that were on the wall to affright them, to trouble them, that they might take the city. So, so it's pretty intense when uh, all of these uh, Jewish people are actually uh, standing there on the walls and they're, they're going among their daily work and all of a sudden they hear these screaming out loudly and they're, they're, they're basically blaspheming the God of heaven. And really, his leaders that are in place, look at verse 19, they speak against the God of Jerusalem, as, as against the gods of the people of the, of the earth, um, and, and which were the work of the hands of man. So, and then verse number 20 says, And for this cause, Hezekiah the king and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amoz, uh, of Amaz, prayed and they cried to heaven. Now, the fear was intense. But, but, but the, what was intense here was the mocking against God. God is watching all of this. And the, and, and the, and the, the Assyrians were thinking that, that they were in charge. They're going to overtake this particular country. And the Jewish people are small. And, and the Jewish people worship other gods, you know. And we just, we just look at all this stuff as being, uh, as being um, not a problem for them. And look at all this and saying, we'll be able to take them too. We've taken everybody else out. Until they prayed. And if you ever have your back against the wall and you think there's no hope, no help, then pray. I thought about writing a poem called, But Then I Prayed. But then I prayed, and God answered. 
But then I was able to give it to God, and he helped me. And I'm not talking about physically fighting today. We are in a spiritual battle. And when we're, we're, we're alluding to taking over this or whatever, we're talking about within the boundaries of the law, we need to fight for what is right. We need to say, this is truth. Because right now, the battle for truth is being tested. And dear, dear friend, let me tell you something. The truth is in you. You have internalized the truth, the truth because Jesus Christ lives within you. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so what we need is we need a, a vocal uh, group of people that will say, no, that's not the way it is. Because I'm seeing what's happening is, is, is we're getting involved with all of this and we're getting into the striving and the arguing when, when the whole thing is to see to it that the gospel of Jesus Christ goes forth in 2021. That's the desire of God. The Great Commission is supposed to be in place until we're supposed to occupy until he comes. Let me tell you something. The, 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 the nations are still in place. You know, we're, we're still here. Um, the tribulation hasn't begun yet. And as many of you think it has, it hasn't begun yet. We will know when it begins because we're going to be in heaven, dear friend. The tribulation begins after the rapture, after the rapture, after the rapture. Many of our, my, my fellow preachers out there have turned away from that truth. I can see it in the scriptures that there's a removal of God's people before the tribulation comes. And the Jewish people have been beat up and they have been, been hurt long enough. And the God of heaven finally steps in and does something. We see this in Joel chapter 3. You'll, you that are here on Wednesday nights and going through the scriptures showing that God was, got to the place where he was fed up and all of the nations were gathered together at the battle of Armageddon. God is going to destroy and repay every single nation that picked on the Jews. They will be judged. So will Sennacherib and the Assyrians. But after they prayed, verse number 20, it says, And the Lord sent an angel, which cut off all the mighty men of valor, and the leaders and the captains in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame of face to his own land. And when he was come into the house of his God, that they came forth, of his own bowels, his, his sons, slew him there with the sword. Now, see, the Chronicles seems to go a little further and explains a little more than Kings does. It helps us to understand. That's why sometimes there's two accounts. It's because there's more details. It's a lot with the synoptic gospels. But it says in verse number 22, Thus saith the Lord, uh, Thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib the king of Assyria, and, and, and from the hand of all other and guided them on every side. And many brought gifts then unto the Lord to Jerusalem in presence to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, so that he was magnified in the sight of all the nations from thenceforth. Now turn back with me, if you would, with me to Psalm 46, because now we know the background of this psalm. Now we settle in. I have an, in my home, I have a book that was written in the early 1800s, and it is an explanation of all the Psalms. I think I should give it to someone to reproduce, and we should have that uh, available. Uh, you may be able to look online and click into some, uh, maybe you know how to do all of that, but you can find the research on the Psalms, and I did that. Uh, this book fell apart. It was 
and it's old and it wasn't taken good care of. And so I had to put duct tape on it. I needed some. And, and all I could find was pink duct tape. Uh, I don't know where the pink duct tape come from. I, I prefer gray or camouflage. So if you have presents in mind for me. Um, but on my, on my, in my chair, and those that are coming over the house afterwards today are going to see that particular book, and you can't miss it because it has pink uh, covering it. It was holding the book together as this pink duct tape. And, uh, and I was reading it a little bit more in understanding of this particular psalm and why the psalmist wrote this particular psalm and what it meant to him and put, put myself in that position. I can't help but think about the Jewish people and how they've been through the years beat up through the years. I think about how, that, how that, uh, uh, the Jewish people are, are, are wonderful people. They need to be saved. Many of them don't know Jesus Christ. Many of them have rejected the Messiah. They don't believe he came yet. Uh, the best place to take a Jew is Isaiah 53, and real slow, read it really slow with them. And then to keep pointing to Jesus. Maybe you have a picture of Jesus somewhere in your home. But take them through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And their eyes will be open someday. And I just want to encourage you that in order to be spiritually stable, in order to be spiritually steadfast, there are three things I want you to think about in this particular passage. And, and I think it involves three things. I, I, I've seen myself go through seasons, if you would, uh, where it became difficulty. But whenever the church is, is persecuted, whenever the, there's threatenings that are going on to our rights, uncertainties in the world, whenever we become fearful... I think we need to look at Psalm 46. I really believe if we meditate upon the word of God, the spirit of God will help our souls in time of need. If we humble our hearts and seek him and cry out to, the, to him, he will come and meet the need. I believe that's actually being presented here. It says in verse number one, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, the, the verbiage with the King James Bible, sometimes the people don't like it. They don't like the King James. I absolutely love the King James Bible. I, I, I love it because the words are all there. Sometimes we can turn them a little bit and, and make sense of the verse as far as our knowledge is concerned. But God doesn't have a problem with the King James. I think he does have a problem when we remove words from the Bible. He, he has a problem with that, and so do I. But as we see this and we read this particular portion of Scripture, my, my heart lifts up. In fact, when it comes to the place where it says Selah, it's like I'm on another level spiritually by the time I get there. And then I go to the next few verses, and then I'm getting a little bit more it's stronger and a little bit more at ease. But I think it's important for us to know ultimately that this psalm should be applied to the final destruction that is going to, to take place for everyone who is anti-Christ. They will be judged. Now, we can go ahead and talk about God's love nowadays, and we do that. We talk about the mercy of God. We talk about the blessings of God, and we could... But you know what? The God of heaven is going to pour out his wrath upon the nations that have not trusted him. And if we become like the other nations, America, he will judge us too. And I don't want to be part of that. Do I flee? No. God has placed me here for a purpose and for a reason. 
giving me the desire to, and the passion to continue on. So the, they basically, the Bible is actually telling us here in this particular verse to trust him. Look, it says in verse number two, therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, and though the waters then be thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof? Has any of that happened yet? No. But if it does happen, what are we going to do? We're probably going to be shaken a little bit in our steadfastness. We are going to have things that we're going to question. We're going to have times when we'll be worried about things a little bit more than we are normally. And so I think really if we look at this, there is a river then in verse number 4. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High, God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. Basically, that word right early is, means when the morning comes, or when the morning appears, if you look it up in the Hebrew. When the morning appears, God is in the midst of her. The heathen raged, and kingdoms were moved. He utterly uttered his voice, and the earth melted. And and the Lord of hosts is with us, and the God of Jacob is our refuge. So come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations that he hath made in the earth. He makes war to cease unto the ends of the earth, and he breaks the bow, and he cuts the spear asunder, and he burneth the chariots with fire. And so the description here is talking about God and his ability. Ultimately, he is talking, the psalmist is, about when God is going to pour out his vengeance upon the nations that, again, that were against his will and against his desire. Boy, we've got our work to do. Think about it. If this is true, and I'm telling you, and it is, then God has placed us here with the gospel to be able to take the gospel to the whole world. America has been very blessed, and we have been blessed here to be able to have so many missionaries to take care of. And every year when pastors kind of hounding on you, let's give a little bit more to missions, give a little bit more to missions, it's because the purpose of sending the gospel all around the world so that people can hear the truth of the scriptures in COVID or no COVID, we need to continue with the gospel to tell everyone we see about the Lord Jesus Christ. And God desires that. And you'll sense his spirit inside of you saying, I've got to do something. I remember talking to Curtis recently, and maybe I told you the story, but he was at a home and he was taking care of the furnace and so on. And he said, Dad, I met the nicest guy, a little old guy, and he was just the, the nicest, but I kept thinking in my mind, I wonder if he's saved. I thought, man, you know, you've got the same problem your father has, you know, because I do the same thing. So it's in his car and it gets in his truck and he, he had a track in the truck and so he thought he should take it back in, but he, he said he just didn't do it and he got about two blocks away. He turned that truck around and went back and he went up to the man and said, I want to give you this, sir. He wanted to give the man the gospel track so that maybe he would read it and get saved. And what if that man read that and got saved? Then my son was obedient to the Spirit of God working in him. Let me tell you something. If you're not steadfast spiritually, what's going to happen is you're going to think about yourself only all the time. And if people don't come to your opinion, then, then you're going to be... Listen, the problem with... I'll say it. The problem with the Democrats, now I got your attention, right? <laughs> Is they're saying, we want unity, 
But the only way we can have it is if you conform to my way. That's it. It's exactly. A hunger for control. We'll do anything to have power. Even take people out. It's a terrible thing. Power is horrible. Is it happening in our day? Well, certainly it is. Certainly it is. So, so to what are we respond? I got it this morning, and I heard some bad news. It seems like it seems like fake news is everywhere. <laughs> I don't know who coined that phrase, but my goodness, it is everywhere. everywhere. I was listening to it this morning. I'm like, they're trying to make me think that everything is different than what it really is. Right. They're messing with my mind. That's abuse, by the way. I think I'm going to sue CNN. It's interesting as we think about these things because to make them relevant, for us to be able to apply it, we need to understand that we need to then, verse number 10, several things in this verse, but we need to be still and know that God is God. And He will be exalted among the heathen. And He will be exalted in the earth. He will rule for a thousand years from the throne of His Father, David. He was born in Bethlehem. Same verse tells us he was going to do that. He was. Now he will rule for a thousand years on this earth. In the millennium, he will, he will come and he will return. He will step down uh, on the mount. And he will walk across the Kidron Valley. And he will walk into the eastern gate. And he will sit down on the throne. And he will rule his people again. That's Jesus, my Lord. And that's my focus this morning. Help us understand. How do we do this? God, first of all, be still and know that he is God. He's not a man. He's not estimated by human ability or calculated in any way. He is God. He cannot be measured or, 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 or by material uh, thinking or material movement, if you would. He is eternal. He is a consuming fire. He is infinite. He is incomprehensible. He is actually immutable. And he is the king of king and the Lord of lords. That's my Lord. And so I need to be still and know that he is God. And so let me just give you three things that being still means. It, being still involves three things. In your own heart this morning, I want you to think about these three things. Am I still? Being still involves this. Number one, it involves the silent power of reception. The silent power of reception. Let me tell you something. When somebody gets married, sometimes it's kind of a silent thing. But when people get married, sometimes it's really an emotional thing. I've done so many weddings, I think 34, 35 weddings, and I've seen all kinds of people come down the aisle. I've seen when the groom is shaking and he's trying to act tough. He gets down here. I've seen one time where there's one guy walking down the aisle and he looked like he had his hand in the candy jar the whole time. Got down here, went through the vows. He's just happy-go-lucky, you know. I do, <laughs> you know. But I've had some look so seriously at me. Looking at me and saying, I hope I say the vows right. With the seriousness of the power of reception, receiving his bride. It's a powerful thing. Sometimes I see them emotionally moved, and sometimes they're not emotionally moved. Sometimes it's, yeah, I do. Yeah, whatever, let's get this over with, you know. And you know, marriage actually really kind of reveals, a marriage relationship reveals our relationship with God. That power of reception. 
Yeah, you know who he is. But have you opened the door of your heart and received him? Oh, you're knowledgeable about God. You could actually take me to places in the scripture about the Lord. But have you personally opened your door and said, come in and abide in me, Lord. Forgive me. Come. Power of reception. You see, the reception is different than anything else. You're made up of three things. Your intellect and your emotion and your will. The power of reception deals with the will. It's interesting because I wrote down a few, some things down here. That, that, that it's, it's not the energy of thought. It's deeper than that. So you're not dealing with the intellect. We're dealing with reception. When we're, when we're dealing with reception, we're dealing with something larger and deeper than even thought. It doesn't really... It, it's, it's, it's basically reception is greater than your emotion. Because your intellect is actually moved by what you see and understand and so on. Moving, then, would be the reception part of it because it's an act of your will. But when you think about things and in your intellect, like the other night I was watching a, a movie and, and I, was, I was really moved by the, the plot. It was just incredible. At the end, I was so happy because it was a Western, so we know the hero is always there. And we kind of know the way it's going to go, don't we? When we're watching a film, we kind of know how it's going to end up most of the time. Have you ever watched a film, you think, I got this one, and then it doesn't end like you thought it was going to? Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> I think the person wrote the film did that on purpose. <laughs> but I was thinking about how that sometimes we hear it, and I'm thinking, man, this plot is really good. I'm watching it, and I'm just totally into it, and I moved with my intellect. And then all of a sudden, it works out. He gets the pretty lady, and they go off into the, you know, live happily ever after, and the villain gets hung or whatever, you know. I'm thinking, wow, man, I'm, I'm like, I can't let Tammy see this. Yeah. Man, good night. That happens sometimes. But to be still is greater than that. To be moved by your intellect, to be moved by your emotion is one thing. But the power of silent reception, to know that he is God. Wow. Do you know he's God today? He's in complete control of everything. Say, well, I can say that too. You can say it with your mouth, but do you believe it in your heart that God is God? Let your soul hush from the daily grind. Sometimes we get so caught up in what's going on that we're agitated. You know what's happening? We are being overloaded. What's happening is people are saying, well, it's my age. Sometimes we're saying, well, it's the overload on my brain. Well, it's COVID. You know how COVID's been, you know. It, it might play a part of it. But what's happening today is our hearts are restless. And we're not resting on the fact that God is in complete control. And always will be. Let your soul hush from the daily grind. And sometimes those that are physically blind see better. Because they're not seeing all of the things that are going on around them to take their attention away. 
I think of Fanny Crosby and how that she just was beautiful in her writings because she was able to hush her soul. And many times after midnight, placing her forehead on the scriptures, would meditate upon the truths of the word of God to write such eloquent hymns, such doctrinal, accurate hymns that we can sing even today was done by somebody who knew what it meant to be still and know that he is God. And so we understand this, and it helps us understand, first of all, there is this power, if you would, of reception. That's what it involves. But secondly, it involves, to be still, involves an inner sense of veneration. I chose that word because I'm trying to I'm trying to increase my vocabulary in 2021. Veneration. Now, you that know me, I, I always say I'm a drywaller son and so on. My dad is really, really wise, by the way. It's not a knock toward my dad. I'm just a basic kid that grew up on Horse Street here in Madison and had a paper route to the public schools, you know, till, till I got up a little bit higher grades. I went to a Christian school. But the English language has so many words that, that if, you know, I like Quick Trip, don't you? For their bananas, right? And for their fruit, not their donuts. Those are all bad, 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 bad. I wouldn't eat one of them, I said. But as I, pumping the gas, they have a word for the day. You ever see that? You know what I'm talking about? Our word for today, that guy's got a real annoying voice, doesn't he? If you want to get up and get awake, awake, just go ahead and keep pumping gas that quick trip. You know, hang. But this morning, the temperature is, it's like, you know, it's got like a nasal issue going on. But anyway, so do I. But anyway, bring it back to this understanding is sometimes, sometimes we have words that we don't know what they mean, but this particular word I chose today because it is absolutely essential to be still. It involves veneration. That is reverence and awe. We must have that when we look to God. We must know that he is in complete control. And, and it's easy to say, but do we believe it in our hearts? And I think the inward sense of veneration, so we must move beyond the superficial. Our shoes must come off. We, we must get to the place, if you're going to be still, You've got to come to the place where you're drawing closer to the burning bush like Moses and take your shoes off first and get a little closer to God. I think it means that we ought to take all of the cares of this world and then roll them off of our shoulders unto God. It means to take our shoes off and to get close to him. Our thoughts need to be lowered. Our spirits need to be subdued. We need to come to the place of just being still and know that he is God. Be still. Janet sent me something last night, and I thought about it, read it through, and it was like, man, how brilliant. And some of those things on there were talking about how we took the be still, and then that's one portion of it, and then to know, uh, that's another portion of it, that he is God. And so what does it mean to be still? Well, it involves, of course, that sense of veneration, but we can't do it when we're talking. So he put stop talking on it. He put stop talking. Switch your phone off. Stop commenting on, of course, anything 
listen, stop arguing, stop questioning, stop moaning. Have your parents ever said stop whining? (laughs) I think God says that sometimes to us. Because his children sometimes can moan. But to be still involves just letting it go and let God. He went on to say, when it comes to knowing him, it talks about, and know, stop doubting, be sure, have faith. No second opinion. God said it, I believe it. That settles it. That's powerful, isn't it? That God is God. He went on to say that God is Almighty, that's who he is. He is in control. He is love. He is king. He is my hope, my rock, my fortress. But my God is my ever-present help in time of trouble. He is God, and he meets my needs, and I am in awe over him. I think when it's important for us to find one more thing to think about, another element is this, be still. It involves a secret sufficiency of prayer. And all of these that I give you this morning will help you understand how to be still. But see, sometimes we know what to do. Sometimes we judge ourselves according to our intention, like Brother Darrell says, instead of really evaluating, am I following through? The next time you know that you need to just be still under your breath, be still and know that he is God. And take that time where you say, God, you are God. You're high and lifted up. That's the best time for you to go into prayer. Say, Lord, I honestly, wholeheartedly come to you right now because I am in great need. I yield to you. That stillness, if you would, the secret sufficiency of prayer. Enjoy his presence. Experience his care. And find his rest. The Lord is. The Lord lives and the Lord reigns. What powerful truth from the scriptures this morning that will help us to be still and know that he is God. If you're here this morning and you've been struggling with troubles and so on in your heart, the greatest thing you can do is make sure you, first of all, have a love relationship with God. That's the first thing. What do I mean by that? Do you love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind? Think about that. Do you love God that way? We say, oh, certainly I love God. Well, then have you done what he said to do, to trust his son? He made a way for us. I was, I was encouraged this morning because one of the men that are joining today gave me the verse of John 3.16. Now, I don't know Spanish, but when he said it, I knew what he was talking about. Now, figure that one out. I don't even know Spanish, but I know that he was quoting John 3.16, his favorite verse. That God so loved that he gave us his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that we wouldn't have to. He paid the price so we wouldn't have to. That's why we need to focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ and know that Jesus Christ paid the price of our sin. We don't have to pay the price. He did it for us. That's why we have faith in him and his finished work. And we know he died. And we, knows he ro- we know he rose again the third day. And I hope that you would trust him. Put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. And then for you, Christian, have you been obedient to God? 
Is there some areas of your life that you still have not stepped out and been obedient to God for? You haven't said yes to him in certain areas. Then in order to be still, you must have a relationship, a love relationship with God, but you must obey him. Remember what I was talking about earlier and how the, these nations were all being picked on? They were. I mean, these, pick, these nations were picking on the Jews, but it was part of what God planned. He says, if you go into the land and if you obey my voice, you won't have any problems. Oh, you'll have issues and illnesses and so on. But if you continue to disobey, I'll take you out of the land and I'll scatter you. And the Jewish people have been scattered over and over and over again. And they started to return. Even now, they're returning back to their homeland. Since 1948, big decision. 1967, big decision. 1973, all dealing with the Jewish people. Are they still have troubles? They sure do. But God is bringing them back after scattering them. Because you know what? He's got a plan. And he is going to pour out his vengeance upon the other nations. And I pray God that America would stay true to his word, bless his people, Israel, and continue to follow the way God wants us to go. So loving relationship, then obedient to God in the area of your life. And then say, I'm walking and doing what God wants me to do by serving him. That's where your peace will be, to be still. You can only do it if you follow those three things. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. I went longer than I should have. You're tired, but I I believe that God is working in your heart. So maybe this morning you would say, Pastor, I know I'm saved, but I have not been obedient to God in certain areas. And God dealt with me this morning. His spirit was speaking to my heart. And I want to be totally honest with God. God is working. I'm saved, but I need to make some decisions. Is there someone like that now? Just lift your hand, put it back down again. I want to pray for you. Thank you. Someone else. Maybe outwardly you're working for God, but inwardly you're not. You're not steadfast spiritually. Maybe you say, Pastor, please pray for me. I want to be steadfast spiritually. Just lift up your hand and put it back down again if that's you. Thank you. Anybody else more? Put your hands down. Maybe you're here this morning and still you have not opened your heart and let Jesus Christ in. You know who he is, but you've never said, come in. I receive you. And now that power, silent power of reception is there. And you say, Pastor, I want to receive Jesus Christ today. Is there anyone like that? Let's just your hand and put it back down again. I'll pray for you. I won't point you out, but I'll pray for you. Then this message was for you, Christian. I'm going to pray, and as soon as I'm done, we'll have the invitation. Would you please stand? No one looking around. Let's have an invitation. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct in Jesus' name. Amen.